Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 124. My name's Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising, who wants ideas and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you enjoy your job and raise more money. Just before we start, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been in touch recently when we celebrated going past the 100,000 listens mark. And thanks, as always, to everyone who continues to spread the word so that we can help as many people as possible. Today, we're looking at an area of fundraising leadership that's always interested me, which is how to make the most of the opportunities and overcome the challenges in the first few months of a new leadership role. I was really pleased to be able to talk to a wise fundraiser named Tess Nixon Spiller, who's been leading fundraising teams for more than 15 years and who loves taking on interim roles for a broad range of not-for-profit organisations. By specialising in this kind of work, where she is almost perpetually new, she's gained valuable insights about how to make a difference in this context. I really enjoyed hearing Tess's ideas, and I hope that you do too. Hello Tess, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rob. You're very welcome. I've had the good fortune to enjoy various chats with you over the last few years, and I've long admired your work and known about what you do as a fundraiser, but also as a leader of fundraising teams. And I've been keen for a while to get you onto the show to talk about an interesting topic. We have done leadership themes before, but there's a really interesting angle on this that I think many people will value, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we get into the topic, could you let us know, top line, what is the gist of your career so far? And then secondly, What's the nature of your role at the moment? Yes. So the gist of my career so far. So 20 years of fundraiser. I started on the phones, as many people did, brilliant training grounds. But of relevance to today, about 15 years at head to director level. And I am a serial interim. So I am perpetually new. So I've been interim deputy director at Teenage Cancer Trust, head of philanthropy at Cancer Research, Head of Major Gifts at Exeter University, and I'm currently Director of Fundraising and Marketing at a medium-sized national charity called Camp Hill Village Trust, which provides a life of opportunity for adults with learning disabilities. And I'm in the seat in that role for seven months. So I started in the autumn through to spring, and I do it in three days a week. My goodness. That is a major challenge on several fronts. And that's partly why I was really keen to interview you. Because you've done this over and over again, it just will be the case that you've learned some things along the way Mm -hmm. and potentially, therefore, to be able to help our listeners, A, who are themselves interim fundraisers or especially interim fundraising leaders, Mm -hmm. or indeed, even if they're not interim, the early part of a new fundraising leadership role, I'm guessing many of the things that you've learned about will also help in that respect. I guess my first question is, what do you think are two or three of the the pitfalls that could be waiting for us if we're in a new leadership role? Yes, good question. I I mean, I love being new. I, I, I love going in fresh with no baggage I love having a completely empty inbox you know when does that ever happen unless you're new but it's a bit like 
opening a huge jigsaw puzzle at Christmas, you're like, oh, yes, I'll do a puzzle, a thousand pieces, and you empty it out. And you think, my goodness, what have I done? And it takes ages to turn over all the pieces, let alone start finding the corners and the edges. So I think being new can be overwhelming. Your head is often full, completely full of just trying to find those corners, those edges, making sense of what you've picked up in the organisation in front of you. And of course, every organisation is really completely different to the other. So I'll talk a bit, hopefully, about how you manage that overwhelm and see your way through that. And then I think there's something about how you get to grips with where you can add value and who you are as a leader and how you can contribute to the organisation in front of you as well. And again, that's a bit of jigsaw piecing together too. Thank you, Tess. And I wonder, what have you learned about something you can quite deliberately look after and give your attention to that increases the chances that these early days will go well? Who knows, Rob? Ask me on a different day. Maybe I'll have three different things. But today, my first piece of advice is about knowing yourself. The chances are, if you're in a leadership position, head, deputy director, director, you've probably got a a good few years of work experience under your belt and learned a bit about who you are along the way. So something I absolutely know about myself is I am super visual. So when I worked at Cancer Research, they would always laugh at me because I I get off the train from Devon to London. I'd have drawn a diagram and I'd have this scrappy bit of paper and say, here it is. This is what we're going to do. And it would be some scrappy diagram. But something that's hard, I think, about being new is you get lots and lots of pieces of information, lots of half hour calls with people that you don't know. And so one of the things that I I did at Camp Hill within probably about a month is I created a, a planner board, not very sophisticated, quite simple in Excel, which just had the months and the weeks across the top, the projects in the first column. I asked everyone in the team to fill it in and it just gave me the visual that my brain needed to go, this is it. This is what the team does. This is what's happening when, this is when people are on leave. This is when my new starters are coming, people are leaving. And my brain just relaxed when I had that. We call her the Bev, the bird's eye view. It was just like all those little bits of information coming together in one place. And it made me feel like I've got this. I know what my team are delivering. I can see it in one place. So yeah, that knowledge of myself that I'm super visual and just giving myself a tool that plays to that and enables me to move forward. The other thing that I, I know about myself is that I am a creative ideas person. You know, I, I can have 400 ideas a day easily. And when you're fresh into an organisation, you know, you've normally got quite excited about the role through the interview process. You know, there'll be a reason why you've gone through it. So I'll be kind of buzzing with ideas and each person I meet will give me more ideas. So I sit on my hands in those first few weeks because I think your preconceptions are sometimes not right. And so there's something for me, knowing that's a strength, but it can be a weakness when I'm new. The way that I sit on my hands is I say to everybody, I'm going to listen. I'm going to be in listening mode for the first month six weeks going to meet lots of people 
I'm not going to make any big decisions in these first few weeks or months. And by telling other people, I'm making myself accountable for that. So there's a bit of me that's like, I would just want to get stuck in and change things and, you know, input ideas. But I'm kind of holding myself back until I've really got the lay of the land and really understand what's going on in that charity and where I can add value. That makes sense. So one thing I really like about that is even if our listener might have a different bias and therefore a different thing he or she needs to do in their first time, a key thing I'm hearing is the value in being explicit to others about what your strengths and potentially relative weaknesses or tendencies are, voicing those so that they know what to expect of you. Yes, yes. And it's similar to sometimes people have a challenge when either they want advice and the other person's just listening, or far more often, I think, in our culture, they just need to be listened to and understood. And actually, they don't want advice, you know, in any given relationship or from any given manager or so on. Whilst many of us can work on our listening, I think there's a real value in being explicit as you talk about your good idea and or your challenge, being explicit what you're seeking from the person you're sharing it with mm, so mm. that they know where they stand mm, yeah. in how they can help you. Yeah, exactly. There's going fast and slow, right? So there's part of me that wants to go slow, wants to get the lay of the land, check that I've really understood this organisation and where I can add value and what my objectives might be. There's also often a need to go quickly. So the question I often ask my clients when I'm in interim is, what's on fire? What's the big thing or the few things that I need to get on top of really quickly? So, for example, when I was at Teenage Cancer Trust, a decision needed to be made quickly about whether the Royal Abbott Hall event was going to go ahead. It was November 2020. That event normally happens in spring. We didn't know where the pandemic would be. That was what was on fire. At Camp Hill Village Trust, it was the AGM was going to happen like two days after my start date. The winter appeal was about to be signed off. So, yes, there's going slow and going with the flow. But there's also where do you need to get up to speed really quickly, get briefed in, understand what's happening So I think you kind of have to operate on those two different planes and just get eyes on the stuff that's going to be really important and that you want to feel briefed on really quickly. Yeah. So circling back to one of your first suggestions, which I think would help most of us, let alone our particular preferences for visual or not, an advantage to getting that, I think you called it the BEV, that bird's eye view, is... It makes it easier for you to give lots of focus and leadership time to the really crucial thing. Yeah. Whilst having some reassurance that you've got the background Mm. detail on the next Mm. 19 things as well. Yeah. So that you won't get caught short that one of those other things you weren't at all aware of. I guess that helps you do both and make intelligent choices of giving lots of attention where it's needed yeah absolutely and it you know it depends doesn't it because you might go into a big team that is well run they've already got their planner board actually the current financial year that you're in is totally in hand 
or you might go into a really small team. I went into a small team with lots of vacancies. My head of marketing left the week that I arrived. I don't think it was personal to me. I think they were going to leave anyway. The head of fundraising left a month later. You know, so we had lots of chopping and changing, lots of new people. So we that was really important for us to just get a grip. Who's doing what? What's happening when? Let's make sure we're really tight as a team on what the plan is. Another team that might be totally sorted. And instead, really, your role as a director is about the horizon, is about next year or even where are we going to be three years down the line? So in your first few days, certainly your first few weeks, you're making that assessment of where you need to put your gaze. Is it right now? What's happening this week? Is it this month and next month? Or is it this year and next year? And it will vary, I think, from organisation to organisation. That makes sense, Tess. And just occasionally, I've heard the phrase, the first 100 days Mm. in a new leadership role, which I think implies there is some advantage to newness. But I wonder, what's your take on whether there are some advantages to being new? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, having a six-month contract, three days a week, 100 days probably takes me all the way through to the end of it. (laughs) And I think the reason I'm suited to those contracts is I am a bit of a sprinter. I do work quite quickly, but there is an advantage to being super new. I mentioned earlier, you know, it's pretty much the only time when you have zero emails in your inbox. You haven't got a hangover of work and projects that you haven't done. So something I did back in November when I was new at Camp Hill Village Trust was just took the opportunity to actually think I listen to loads of your podcasts actually I listened to a few of Carla Miller's podcasts I went to a fundraising everywhere webinar about trust fundraising and a cost of living crisis you know we're so lucky in our sector that there is so much out there that's free or cheap accessible and often as a director it's hard to find the time to engage in those resources so I, I really did use that slightly freer time at the very beginning of my contract and the advantage of that meant that I could bring some of the outside in to my team as well as bringing a fresh objectivity and experience in other organizations I was able to look at the winter appeal which was just about to be signed off and say just been to this webinar about the cost of living crisis and actually I think we need to dial down the urgency because you know I've heard this psychologist speaking about how people are feeling under pressure. So we don't want to put more pressure on. That is a golden opportunity, I think, that you won't necessarily have when you're really suddenly in the midst of a big role and your diary is full and engaging in that kind of thing is much more difficult. So there are lots of advantages of being new. You can meet supporters. Often people worry that they don't want to meet supporters until they know more about the organisation. I'd love meeting a supporter and saying, I'm in my first week. I've already heard your name so many times. Tell me about why you support us. You know, that's just a lovely conversation. And it's such an advantage of being new. You're under no pressure to know anything about the charity because you're you're super, super new to it. Hi, it's Rob, and I wanted to let you know about our two flagship training programs. That's Major Gifts Mastery and Corporate Partnerships Mastery. And they both start again in early May 2023. These programs help you make progress through a combination of masterclasses with me and individual coaching support. To give you an idea of the difference they can make, 
Here's a short clip from Beatrice Sayer, who you may remember was our guest on episode 122 and who took part in our most recent Corporate Mastery programme. When I say it now, it all sounds so simple, but it wasn't something I was doing before. And, and it's made a huge difference to how I've approached my fundraising. We've had some some really exciting wins off the back of it from the Times Appeal, where our application spoke so strongly to kind of what we'd learned through the Corporate Mastery Programme, which raised over a million pounds for us as a charity, through to smaller wins with law firms, where I was able to put in practice the magic formula in my presentation style. So it, I found it brilliant. I love meeting other fundraisers across the space and found it so helpful kind of hearing their own examples and their challenges and kind of how they'd made best use of the programme. And also just creating that network of like-minded fundraisers has been really kind of inspiring and, and helpful just to have that kind of support network. So so yeah, absolutely loved it. To find out more about either programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. And if you have any questions, do get in touch. For now, let's get back to my conversation with Tess. In addition to that time, maybe your schedule hasn't yet been blocked up with the various mm. historic meetings that are expected of you. Maybe you get more choices to which things you do or don't choose to mm. agree to. Mm. I guess the other thing is, in those early days, you're just, let alone the language, you're just more likely to notice certain things, and it just will be easier to ask, why do we do things that way? Yes. I'm yes. curious. Not, yes. I'm not criticising, but I'm curious. Why Why do we call it that? Why, why is that group organised in that way? Absolutely. My favourite line, Rob, is, help me understand. <laughs> And it was particularly relevant at Camp Hill Village Trust, because if you know anything about the trust, it, somebody described it to me. It's like the, getting the keys to a vintage car, being a fundraiser at Camp Hill Village Trust. You can, you can Google it, have a look on the Sophie website, because they have a decades old reputation for extraordinary donor relations. You know, they wrote the book about opt-in and transparency and... It's also quite quirky in its setup. There's lots of quirks that think, why, why do you do it like that? And I think by asking, you're exactly right, those curious questions. Now, uh, the way I see it, I've got the keys to this vintage car, but I've also got to get it through its next MOT. So, you know, there are bits that need replacing, that need to move forward, but we've got to do that with great care and great tact. So that's all about those curious questions. And in fact, if I had a regret, if I was to go back in time and do things differently, I tend to kind of just roll with those first few weeks. Apart from whatever's on fire, I tend to just go with the flow, meet all the people, read all the things and trust that in about week three, it will click in and I'll understand the organisation. I think actually it might be smarter to be more intentional about those first meetings asking what's special and unique about this place and also asking where are you stuck what stops you thriving in your role what stops us raising more money than before I recently ran an away day with my team and they told me that one of the things that they're stuck on is they don't have good quality fundraising collateral in the office that they can send out hard copy to supporters for me that's so easy to fix and I part of me thinks gosh, I wish I'd discovered that in my first month because we could have just fixed it and move along. And instead, I haven't heard that for a few months. So I think if I had a regret, it would yeah, be open and curious 
but also intentional about what data did I want to get from those first conversations that would just help me add value more quickly. Yeah, I love that. And I am reminded, various things you're saying remind me of some of the answers that Liz Tate gave me on Mm. an earlier one of these interviews about her approach to leadership generally and including early in a role. And uh, she mentioned that when she was at Battersea, she was determined to sit down with everyone in the team and hear about them, not tell them about her, but hear about them and several of those same questions. And one of them was not only where are you stuck, but if you were the leader here, what would you do differently? What would you Mm. like to do differently? And she was Mm. clear that she can't do everything. There's often are restrictions to what is practically possible, but she was nevertheless really curious. She wanted to know because that person might've been there for, 24 months they're bound to have some insights about certain processes and interactions and teams and so on that Mm. she possibly know in her first few Mm. months and when she I think you know Paul McKenzie pretty well from when you were at Teenage Cancer Trust Mm -hmm. which she and Paul did a presentation for our Bright Sport Members Club and they were talking about the various things that had made their culture so strong quite quirky mm-hmm. in a way, that culture mm-hmm. of Bassey Dogs mm-hmm. and Cats Home, but really strong, positive, energetic, sharing, good connections type of culture they built. And someone in my club asked, where did you get all these ideas from? Liz was really clear. That's the whole point. Hardly any of these ideas were me. I, I would never have thought yeah. of it. I'd come to work in your dog onesie day. I mean, <laughs> that's just not me. And there may be some of our listeners now who are thinking, well, I'm glad I don't work there. But yeah. that was Liz's point is, how could I possibly have come up with the breadth and range of things we could mm. try to make mm. things better had I not from the start been mm. really, really curious to try and get other people's take on how yes. we could make things better and to trust that they often would have some really practical yes. ideas and certainly would appreciate being asked. Absolutely. And I think you have to be aware that if you're the new fundraising leader, people will want to create a good impression. So you have to quickly create that psychological safety and trust and ask really good searching, curious questions because nobody wants to meet their new boss and kind of complain on the first meeting. But if you were to say, what are three things that would help us raise more money? You know, that's a much easier question to ask then you know what's broken around here which might be harder for people to to answer yeah I love that I love that advice from Liz thank you Tess do you know what I've realized is I planned for this to be a simple half hour episode inevitably talking to you there's so much more I want to know so if it's okay with you let's finish for today and that could be the first episode and if you'd be willing I'd love to invite you back and we carry on with the second half of the conversation is that okay It's been a pleasure, Rob, and I would be delighted to come back. Let's do it. Great. Thank you so much, Tess. Thanks, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing Tess's insights. You can find a full transcript of the episode in the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you haven't yet subscribed to the Fundraising Bright Spots show, please do that now so that you don't miss out on any of the episodes we've got coming up.
and this will also get you immediate access to lots more episodes, including quite a few on the leadership of fundraising teams. Now, if you're a corporate or a major donor fundraiser and you're determined to lift your results this year, we're now accepting bookings for our next Corporate Mastery Program and Major Gifts Mastery Program, which start again in May 2023. To find out more, check out the information on our website at brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Just before we finish, I'd like to ask a favour, which is if you enjoyed today's episode and you think it would help other people, then please do take a moment to share it on either with your colleagues or on social media. Thank you very much for your help. Tess and I would love to know what you think about this episode. You can get in touch or tag either of us on LinkedIn. And on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thanks for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising and dealing with new situations. And I look forward to sharing more ideas and examples with you very soon. Thank you.